Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we're going to be talking about a really uh, strong topic, and that's widowed parenting. You know, you worry about your kids. So we've got a wonderful guest today who's not only talk the talk, but walk the walk, and she's going to be giving some good advice to people who've had that kind of a loss or any kind of a loss where you're worried about those kids out there, but uh, particularly widowed parenting. So how do you want to introduce her? Sure, I'd love to. So as you said, mom, we're going to be talk about, talking about what it is like to parent after, you, after the death of a spouse. And in this case, it's a dad. And I think that's really difficult. I mean, all of a sudden you're grieving, but then you're having to think about your children and help them and navigate their own grief. Jenny is an award-winning author of the book, A Future Widow. She is also the host of her own podcast called The Widowed Parent Podcast. And as we said, she's a widowed mom who is dedicated to helping widowed parents increase their family's well-being. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so much, Heidi and Gloria. It's great to be here. It's great to have you on. Now, your husband, Dennis, had a terminal brain cancer. Is that right? He did. It was glioblastoma, which I had never heard of before this, but it's very, very aggressive. Like one day everything was total. He was going to work. I was going to work. He was taking the kids to school. You know, we had an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old and everything was fine. And then he said, I'm feeling a little dizzy. And I thought, okay, well, he's dehydrated or tired, right? Why don't you go see your doctor? Well, the doctor says, let's do an MRI of your brain. And the next thing we know, he says, there's something really wrong with your brain. You're going to the neurosurgeon tomorrow. Wow. Wow. These things don't usually happen. I mean, I've had like, you know, knee surgeries and wrist surgery and they schedule things, right? Like this was just like, boom, boom, boom. And then at first it was, you know, a tumor and I'm using air quotes here for, for listeners on the podcast that can't see it. A tumor might or might not be something that could be addressed. Well, about two weeks later, we found out that it was glioblastoma, which is a very, very aggressive brain cancer and super low, like single digit five-year survival rate. And like you said, he lived for eight months um, and then he died. And that was in January of 2016. And and your kids were nine and 11. Tell us about that. What happens as when you lose a husband and where do you start? And what about the kids and what were the big problems? Well, you know, this is what I found to be the hardest, but also the most confusing or, or where I felt like I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And, you know, the, the grief part for myself, right? Like adult grief, maybe you say my grief, I felt like I could find resources. Yes, it was going to be hard. I found a great therapist. I went to Camp Widow. I read a million books. Like I could see that there would be a path, right? That I would have to work through. But when thinking about my role as a widowed parent, like I've got these two kids, I didn't sign up for this job, right? I, I've so far, I've been a regular parent with regular kid issues, right? And now you throw into this whole thing to grieving kids and how is this not going to destroy their whole futures? And how do I even like figure out what I need to know? And so I, you know, I went to 
Amazon, right? I type in like, how do I be a widowed parent? Right? <laughs> and I didn't find anything. So I decided I could go out and start interviewing people um, because I realized I couldn't be the only person who wanted to know these things, the only widowed parent. Mm -hmm. And it was stuff like, you know, how do I, um, you know, do I tell them the truth about things? Do I not tell them the truth about things? Do I, you know, what, do, what if somebody's upset, what do I do? It started actually before he died, because when he was sick, I realized that I would be a widowed parent. I didn't know exactly when, how many months it would be, right? But, you know, do I, what do I tell them? Like when we find out that it's cancer and that the doctors can't fix it, do I tell them that or do I don't tell them that? And what I learned um, eventually is that from one of my guests that I interviewed actually is how important it is to be honest mm -hmm. with kids, even when the topic is very, very difficult. What's, what you set up is a situation where they will eventually find out, whether they find yeah. out because you tell them when they get older or whether they find out because they hear adults talking in hushed tones and they figure out that something isn't quite adding up or whether they Google it or somebody tells them on the playground, they end up finding out the real truth at some point. And then what happens is you've taken, it was already a terrible situation where their parent died and you've made it worse because you added into that, this surviving parent that they really need to be able to trust. That bond of trust is so important. And the surviving parent now has lied to them about something so fundamental, exactly. even if they meant well, right? It, I, it, I was just going to say that, Jenny, and it's like, okay, you lied to me. What else have you lied to me about? Yeah, I trust exactly. You? you can always fix it, right? Like it's better to realize that and, and go back and have the conversation that's like, look, there's something, you know, there's a discussion we had that I really wish I'd handled differently. I didn't know then, but now I've learned and I need to tell you something and we need to talk about this. Um, and, you know, it can, it's a difficult conversation. So, so pulling in somebody like, there are a lot of terrific kids and family grief programs in every city. And if you go to the National Alliance for Children's Grief website, they have a place where you can look up by your location, what's near you. Talking to somebody at one of those centers about how you might have that discussion can be really helpful um, to you know talk through the possibilities. But my 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 point overall is, it's not too late to go back, okay. and then you're modeling too that you know adults screw things up, and then they work on fixing them. What about dating and bringing somebody else into your life? Well, that's an interesting question, um, and you know a lot of people think about that. I think that it's important to. I mean, there are a lot of different, for as many different people as there are, there's many different people answers. For me, mm -hmm. I think it's important to figure out my own self and my own life and my own future before I start thinking about how other people might fit into that, right? Um, I think that a lot of people, you know, they might want to date quickly or later or not at all. And I think those are all good answers. It depends on, you know, yourself and your life. I think there's a lot of interesting things if you think about bringing a potential step parent in right and there's actually a really good book called step parenting the grieving child it's by diane ingram from and she talks about she actually was a stepmother marrying into a family with a dad and two kids and the mother had died um, and talks a lot about considerations for you know how to how to do that and make that successful and one of the key points is not trying to you don't have to feel like you have to replace the dead parent right? You right. can be another loving adult with your own. It's kind of like if somebody remarries, their second spouse doesn't have to replace their first spouse, mm -hmm. right? 
um, they can have a first spouse and they can have a second spouse and they can have a dead husband and a live husband. You know, there's a lot of um, good uh, things to think about there. I like this, Jenny. And it's interesting too, because I feel like there's a lot of judgment from people saying, you're dating too soon or you're taking too long to date. It's like you, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you right. don't. Yeah. There's this, this judgment of when are you going to date? Why are you already dating? <laughs> right. It is. And everybody has opinions, right? What are the major challenges that come up right away? In terms of initial, you know, uh, generally with, with after the person dies, um, and thinking about the kids in school is an important one. And thinking about talking to the teachers and to the peers and like thinking about, you know, the kid, maybe the, the child will miss a little bit of school if there's a funeral or if there's been some illness or depending on what's going on. Um, and I think that it's important to think about talking to the teachers and um, letting them know what's going on um, and letting them know maybe, you know, some things that might be upsetting or um, just kind of asking them to keep an eye on the kids. I think it's important to realize that um, most teachers apparently don't actually have a lot of training related to children's grief, which even though they're seeing children all day long, right? And there are some terrific initiatives now to try to help schools become more grief sensitive. Um, but I think in terms of immediate things to think about, like, you know, um, you know, kids often report that, that their friends are weird, you know, act weird when they go back to school, the friends don't know what to say. So either they don't say anything and then it, you know, it's just a really big, weird, awkward situation, or the kid says something, you know, that's hurtful or insensitive, maybe they don't mean to. So sometimes it might be talking to the, you know, the parents of your kid's friends to answer their questions or encourage them to encourage their kids and equip them with some things to say or some role playing. Um, I think in terms of the immediate steps, those can be, can be helpful. Keeping the lines of communication open um, and listening, you know, if they're upset about something, like let's say you're talking about younger kids and the, and one kid hits their sibling and then maybe you're like, oh my gosh, did they hit their sibling because of grief or did they hit their sibling because I don't know, they took their truck or something. Right. And, and, and this guest pointed out wisely. So like um, hitting their sibling isn't okay whether it's because of grief or because they took the toy. Yeah. Um, and then there might be another step, right? So you still, you don't want to say, oh, well, they hit their sibling because they're, you know, upset with grief. So we'll overlook it. It's more like, okay, hitting the sibling isn't okay. And now let's take a second step, which is like, let's maybe try to poke at what they're feeling or what's going on with them and look at some of those behaviors as it's kind of like, a, like, a, like it's two different things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and with the case of uh, teenagers, it's interesting. I interviewed Lisa Damore, who's a psychologist who is an expert in particularly teen girls, but all, all teenagers, and talks about how, um, you know, if, if a kid is, she has a yardstick, if a kid is developing, you know, socially, physically, academically, relationally, responsibly, you know, then they're probably doing okay, even if they are like shutting themselves in their room. Because this is one of the things I asked, right? Like if they're shutting themselves in their room, are they 12 and 13 and closing their door and saying go away because they're 13 and starting to separate? Or are they doing that because they're depressed or something, right? right? And it's really hard to know, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, and so her yardstick was, you know, if they're developing along all these characteristics, you know, then they're probably not there's probably not something to miss. They're probably, it's probably developmentally appropriate. I'm closing my door because I'm starting to separate. But if you're seeing that they're stalling 
socially, academically, physically, maturity, growing their growth and the different developmental aspects, then there may be something else going on that you want to try to start uncovering or, you know, talking to professionals and trying to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of the things that impressed me and impresses me uh, hearing you talk is that we know that there are two things that help people. One is peer support and other is information. And you have gone for both. And I want to talk a little bit about the support you've got gotten because I know you've been involved with the Dougie Center, mm. uh, which is a wonderful organization. And um, talk about peer support information and, and reaching out because I think you, you know, you've done an amazing job of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, peer support is really important. And I mentioned before the National Alliance for Children's Grief and, and you mentioned the Dougie Center, which also has a terrific um, program finder tool on their website. And so the Dougie Center is in Portland, Oregon, but they have this lookup tool where you can find programs similar to theirs in communities all across the country. Connecting with uh, groups like this, where the parents can connect and the kids can connect in their age groups, um, they feel less alone, right? Mm -hmm. And they can talk about things that maybe they don't talk about with their other friends, even if they have tremendously supportive friends and family members, being able to connect with a group of widowed parents um, who can share, even if their stories are all different, right? There's a certain commonality of understanding there. And then similarly for kids, and it's one of the reasons that grief camps too, like Camp Aaron and some of the other ones can be really helpful because um, those kids may be the only kid in their class or in their peer group who has a dead mom or a dead dad. Programs like that, I think are tremendously helpful and supportive. I agree, Jenny, because it, it does normalize what you're going through. And I mean, I was 20 when my brother died and I was still the only, no one in my peer group, none of my friends had mm. lost siblings. And you do think you're weird. It's like, why is this weird thing happening to me? I don't want to be different for this. Yeah. And finding other siblings who had had a brother or sister die was really important in my own journey. Mm. So like yeah, you said, I, your support is really invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad you were able to find that group because, yeah. Yes. The compassion yeah. Of I've got to ask you this question. Did you get your kids to go? They were nine and 11. <laughs> what did you, how did you, did you get them to go and how did you do it? One of my kids went to Camp Aaron and said that it was, they were really glad they had gone. He dragged his feet, but, but then at the end he said, you know what, I'm really glad I went. And Camp Aaron has camps in many communities sometimes you can go as a family which if you have reluctant kids who really don't want to go mm. find one where the family participates and tell them you're going and hey you're under 18 for all of you out there like please look at taps the tragedy assistance program for survivors mm -hmm. uh, and it's for military families and it's it's fabulous that's how we get your book and tell us about your podcast Yes. Well, the book is called Future Widow. Futurewidowbook.com has links to all of the retailers. So if you like Amazon or if you like independent bookstores or wherever you like, futurewidowbook.com will get you to those places. And the podcast is called The Widowed Parent Podcast. And that is on all the podcast platforms. Wherever you're listening to this right now, you will find that as well. And my website has links to everything. It's jennylisk.com. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for being on the show today. And thanks for all the wonderful work you do to help those people who are in families where a family member has died and the widow parent book and the podcast and everything you've done. Well, thank you, Gloria. And thank you, Heidi. This has been great. And thank you for the work that you guys are doing. Thanks, Jenny. And thanks for being such a great role model for young widows out there. I mean, 
you've found hope and your parenting as a single parent and you've got your podcast as we can see. And I think it's really helpful for people that are not as far along in this journey to look at people like you as a lifeline, you know, when they're not, they're trying to figure out how they're going to survive. And you've clearly not only survived, but thrived. So thank you for being a guest on our show. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks everybody for joining us on this show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.